welcome back to the series on Plato's Republic. We are going to be picking back up with where we left off last time, which is book one. We'll be finishing up book one. And if you recall, we were talking about um, rule, what makes for a good ruler, and kind of the competing views or the competing alternatives, options, in uh, book one about uh, who who is to rule, who makes for a good ruler. Uh, we had the, the, the option of uh, the many, the multitude, uh, uh, the plurality, and we had the option of uh, the, the, the wealthy, uh, the elderly, right? The, 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 you might call it in the, um, the eyes of the world, the, the, um, the wise, even though it might turn out that the wise isn't just equivalent with, um, elderly with experience, because as we'll see, um, it's, it's still a type of, um, still a type of subjectivity, a type of having been ruled by another. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to slowly transition into uh, the question of what makes a ruler a ruler. That is what makes, um, just as put it this way, to talk about a baseball player, you need to know what a baseball player does, what they're supposed to be doing. Um, to talk about a gardener, who, what makes for a good gardener, you should know or you need to know what gardeners are supposed to be doing. What are they for? What's the purpose of a gardener? And it might turn out, uh, as we'll see, that a gardener is good uh, not necessarily because, or maybe even not even related to the, the question of whether or not they make money or whether or not they have a good business, uh, a gardener, uh, the evaluation of a gardener is based on the plants, right, that, that they, that they tend to. And, and a gardener is good if they, uh, thrive at making their plants thrive, right? If, if they're good at attending to their plants, then they're a good gardener, regardless of whether there's any personal gain uh, because of that, uh, regardless of whether or not they get any extrinsic value out of that activity of gardening, it is sufficient for them to be a good gardener if uh, the, the, the things that they're tending to, or you could put it in terms of ruling, the things that they rule, if they can make those things good, in this case, it's plants, right? You could think of the gardener as the one who rules over the plants, the one who tends to or takes care of the plants. They're good uh, if the things that they rule are good, if they, if they can make those things good. Okay, and what we see uh, with Thrasymachus is this, is this is a completely foreign idea for him, the idea that a ruler would be concerned with the the good of its subjects as as in a sense the primary focus of um, of its of its activity right so so for Thrasymachus one would rule only 
to the extent that they could get something um, individual uh, out of this activity. So that would be like the primary aim. So so the example he uses is um, with 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 uh, being a shepherd and the, the the shepherd tending to the sheep, and uh, there's a, um, a a passage in here. Let's see if we can find this. Uh, um, yeah. Okay. So this is on. Uh, pages 20 and 21, if you have the Reeve translation, otherwise it's in the Stephanus number, the margin number, 343 uh, A5, somewhere around there, and, and going on, you get this discussion of the shepherd. Uh, I believe that's where it's introduced. And the, the, I'll just read some of this because I think it's it's very fruitful to, to, um, to, to, to reflect on because it, it makes this point uh, that's eventually going to carry over into the, the context of justice, which is going to then carry over into this question that we've been asking. What's the value of morality? What's the value of ethics? What's the value uh, of, of, of justice as such? Uh, but it's good to see some a- analogies uh, to help us to answer that question. And so here's here's an analogy um, of... of, of uh, um, the relation of the shepherd to the sheep. Okay, so here um, Thrasymachus asks, tell me, Socrates, do you still have a wet nurse? And the, and the reason he asks is because he, he gets really pissed off right at the front uh, of, of this conversation because he's he's being questioned and he's coming to realize that he doesn't know the answer to these questions or better put, the answer that he's giving to the questions Socrates is asking, those answers are undermining themselves. They're kind of Contra- he, he's, he realizes that he's contradicting himself. And so one thing he could do is he can admit that he was mistaken or he's wrong. The other thing he can do is he can say the whole the whole endeavor to question is is stupid, right? So when someone feels that they're getting backed into a corner, one thing they can do is they can just completely change topics and say, you know, you're an idiot for thinking that this matters so much for questioning me and you trying to just blame the individual for asking the question uh, as a way of kind of getting out of the, the, the situation. Okay, and so then Socrates goes on to respond, uh, w- what is that? Shouldn't you be giving answers rather than uh, asking such things? Thrasymachus responds, because she's letting you run around sniveling and doesn't wipe your nose when you need it, since it is her fault that you do not know the difference between sheep and shepherds. Uh, and this is, I think, an, an analogy between masters and slaves, uh, between rulers and subjects, right? Between the, the ruling class and the ruled class, the, the subject class. Okay, so this is going to be an example that's going to carry over into the relation of uh, the rulers and the rule. Socrates goes on, what exactly is it uh, I do not know, Thrasymachus says. You think that shepherds and cowherds consider what is good for their sheep and cattle and fatten them and take care of them with some aim in mind other than what is good for their master and themselves. Moreover, you believe that rulers in cities, true rulers that is, think about their subjects in a different way than one does about sheep. 
and that what they consider night and day is something other than what is advantageous for themselves. You are so far from understanding justice that what is just and unjust and what is unjust that you do not realize that justice is really the good of another. What is advantageous for the stronger and the ruler and harmful to the one who obeys and serves. Injustice is the opposite. It rules those simple-minded, for that is what they really are. Just people and the ones it rules do what is advantageous for the other who is stronger and they make the one they serve happy, but they do not make themselves the least bit happy. Uh, he goes on, You must consider it as follows, Socrates, or you will be the most naive of all. And then this is, this is where I think it gets, it gets you know, pretty telling. A just man must always get less than does an unjust one. First, in their contracts with one another, when a just man is partnered to an unjust, you will never find when the partnership ends that the just one gets more than the unjust but less. Okay, uh, so one of the things to, to, to keep in mind, it looks like what's going on is that justice is what the subjects are supposed to do the subjects are supposed to be just the subjects the ruled the 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 sheep they're the ones that are supposed to do what someone else says right and so the purpose of sheep is to serve the shepherd uh the the the, the purpose of plants is to serve the gardener um right so so what you what you get is the purpose of citizens the purpose of of society is to serve the, the betterment of the ruler. And so what justice is on this, this view that Thrasymachus is espousing is justice is what the weak, the lowly, the simple-minded, as he calls them, it's what they're supposed to do. Uh, namely, they're supposed to serve the, 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 the higher, the, 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 the high-minded, the, the powerful, uh, the rulers. Okay. And what, what eventually this this develops into at, at at the at the bottom of page twenty one or around three forty four a five or so, what you get is uh, Thrasymachus identifying this type of rule as tyranny, right? So this is this is to say um, to be just is to be a subject of a tyrant obeying the tyrant. Right, so uh, to, to 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 do what's advantageous for the stronger is justice. Um, so if there is a ruler, to do what the ruler says, that's like the purpose of justice. Uh, and so then this goes back to this question initially: What would you prefer to be just or to be unjust? And what Thrasymachus I think has in mind is everyone on, on his view, everyone deep down would rather be unjust. They would rather be the one that would not be the subject of of rule they would not want to be the things that are ruled but rather they would want to be the ones doing the ruling they would want to be um, the ones not subject to the law but the ones that make the law uh, another way of putting it is they would want to be beyond the law or before the law not the ones that fall under it not the ones that have to obey it um, 
And so the, the, the tyrant is the unjust uh, ruler, and they seem to be able to rule when the lower class, the weak uh, subjects, respect or obey um, the, 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 the tyrant. Okay, so, so you get a view of, of tyranny here right up front, which, is to, which, which embeds justice at the service of tyranny. So it's a way of, of, of trying to say, no, there is a, there is a role for justice, but its, its role is in serving the tyrant who doesn't have to be just. The tyrant doesn't, doesn't have to follow any laws because they are the lawmaker. They are the ones that decide who uh, should do uh, what, right? They're the ones that decide what's going to be good or what's going to be bad for the whole. And that's what a ruler is. It's the one who decides uh, the questions of uh, good or bad for the parts. Okay, now what, um, the, we won't go into to all the details, but the way that this conversation develops is Socrates um, eventually goes on to, to make this, this point about um, the necessity of uh, wisdom, uh, knowledge, in, in, in ruling, right? You can't be a ruler if you don't have knowledge because you might be making various laws, you might be making various policies that turn out to be um, uh, a, a contrary to, to your intentions, right? So if you don't have knowledge, the, the things that you tell people to do might actually undermine yourself and we talked about this a little bit last time uh it would be like if the person that didn't fully understand uh what it meant to rebel against authority meant like if they didn't understand that and they said okay here's what everyone needs to do they need to rebel against their authorities and if that law was followed through or carried out what it would do is it would actually undermine the very uh authority that that individual had in pronouncing that law in the first place. Um, and so to have knowledge seems to be a necessary um, precondition of, of being a good ruler, because otherwise you're going to, you know, putting it pretty frankly, you're going to screw yourself over um, with bad laws, with bad, you know, um, uh, uh, commands if you don't understand and know uh, what is good. Okay. And so there's this necessity of knowledge and wisdom if you're going to rule, which uh, ultimately leads to uh, this this um, virtue of justice, because what justice is going to be for for uh, Socrates is justice is the virtue of ruling. It's it's like what you need to have in order to rule well. Uh, just as there, there's certain virtues of being a gardener, uh, there are certain traits, certain habits that you need to have if you're going to garden well, if you're going to rule over your garden, rule over your plants uh, well, you need to have certain, certain traits. And essential to that is going to be knowledge, right? Very, very um, at the heart of all, of all of this, it's going to be knowledge. And so justice which is the virtue of 
of ruling well, uh, you can see is automatically going to um, incorporate uh, uh, knowledge. And it's actually going to be a type of wisdom, as, as we're ultimately going to see throughout this book, that to be just is going to amount to uh, a type of wisdom. And it's, it's, it's going to uh, also be a type of wisdom not or a type of knowledge, not just over yourself and rule, you know, for yourself, but but for another. And this is what is somewhat paradoxical in what Socrates says in response to Thrasymachus and uh, his example of the, the sheep, uh, namely that to, um, to be a ruler by definition is not to be um, a tyrant. So there's something self-contradictory about a, a tyrant. A tyrant is in reality, according to Socrates, not a ruler. Tyrants don't rule. And the, the reason for that is because they are not concerned with their subjects. To be a ruler, by definition, Socrates is suggesting, is to be concerned with your subjects, the, 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 the people that you're ruling. And uh, this is similar to going back to the example of the gardener. To be a gardener requires not just focusing on how much profit you're going to make, which farmer's markets you should go to, but rather to be a gardener, the first and foremost thing that you need to focus on is not making money. That doesn't make you a gardener. Uh, to be a gardener, you need to focus on something else, namely the plants, right? So the the attention, the, the, the purpose of gardening is the plants themselves. And so somewhat paradoxically, the, the ruler, all forms of ruling, whether it's you know government, society, societies, um, governmental rulers, or even just more you know like low scale uh, rulers, coaches, parents, uh, even things really low, like garden, gardeners, they're all going to find their um, their function or their their purpose in lower things and the things less than themselves. And, and in one sense less, that sounds really demeaning, but what I mean is in in the subjects. Uh, and so they are by definition at the service of something else and not and what i mean by at the service of something else is that they succeed as rulers or they succeed as gardeners or they succeed as parents when they help other things um, excel of uh, on their own right so so a parent is a good parent um when they make their children, or maybe not make their children, but when they help their children be good human beings, that's what makes the parent good, right? So a parent cannot be good unless they make their children good. Um, a gardener cannot be good unless they make their plants good. Likewise, for a political ruler, a political ruler cannot be good unless they make their subjects good, right? So the, 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 the primary purpose or the goal or the thing that the ruler cares about 
is something other than themselves. And this is a, a really um, kind of a, a, a provocative idea uh, at the time in, in, ancient, in ancient Greece because it's a fairly common uh, concept that the ruler is the one that everyone else should care about. The ruler isn't a type of, of servant, but what you get here, very surprisingly, is that the ruler rules by serving others, and that's what makes them excel. Uh, this is going to be an image, as we'll, as we'll see throughout the Republic, an image of what it means to be good in the first place. And this is why uh, the, the Republic, and Plato's, Plato's thought in, in general, but especially the Republic, and the, the, the concept of the good, the form of the good, we'll get to this in great detail uh, down the road, but the form of the good or what it means to be good is very central to um, the early uh, Christian understanding of God because what you get is you get this, to be good is to um, share um, your life with another. And this is this is at the heart of of. Uh, the Trinitarian understanding of God. It's at the heart of what it what it means to exist. It's to exist for another. Uh, so to be good is always, to use the technical phrase, self-diffusive. It always pours itself out into another. And so that its, its glory, its excellence is always going to be found in making um, another good. Um, and, and or or to, to make another excel and to share in in a higher life than it, it otherwise would have been. And so this is why I think also throughout the scriptures you, you get all these references to the Father is greater than I, but no uh, then you also have this uh, the Father and I are one and, and, and we share everything in common. everything I have is, is from the Father. And, but so I think what you what you what you see is that to to be, uh, uh, to be a, a ruler, whether it's a father uh, or whether it's a gardener, is to um, pour your life into um, another and to make that other excel. And therefore, it's it's going back to what I w- was just saying, it's contradictory to, to even talk about a tyrant as a ruler. They're, they're, they're rather... Um, a shadow ruler, or they're they're merely like a a, a a a false image of a ruler because they don't really understand what it means to rule in the first place, and so the whole concept um, of of rule, the whole concept of of justice, uh, even the whole concept of injustice is completely completely confused, completely mixed up for them. Okay, and so I think that's the the um, uh, uh, one of the one of the more fascinating aspects of of this latter part of, of book one is that you get the um, the idea of justice as the virtue of ruling, and and implicit in that is that it's always at the service of another. And so when you think about what's the value of justice. Like what? What do I get out of being just? What do I get out of being moral? Um, you're automatically, I think, missing the point um, of justice because you're automatically missing the point of what it means to 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 rule or what it means to ultimately to be um, 
to be good. Uh, even more broadly, what it means to be godlike. If you think of God as like the divine ruler, if you think of um, the forms or the gods or um, a higher power or however you want to think of it as this divine providential thing, which you could refer to as the the um, the giving providence, giving order to to um, to, to existence. How does that happen? Does that come from the top down and it's kind of these commands that say, okay, all these things are going to do X, Y, and Z at the service of me? Uh, I think that's automatically a wrong um, uh, uh, way of thinking of it because that's the, that would be to think of it through the eyes of tyranny or through the eyes of a tyrant to say that that God is is like a divine tyrant that's making everything serve him rather the other way uh, uh, of conceiving of things, which I think ultimately is Plato's um, idea, is that to rule is not to to order things so that that so that they're at the service of you, but rather to order things so that you're at the service of them being uh, good. That, that 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 the fact that they can come to thrive through this order, uh, and so it's a really paradoxical thing that what it is to be a ruler is ultimately to be a servant uh, in, a, in a type of way um, right uh, but also the the paradox continues because what it is to be a subject obviously is to to be a subject it's to, to be subjected to another uh, but it, it's also to um, to be a type of ruler so to, to be a ruler is to be a subject in a, in a certain sense and to be a subject on the other hand is to also be a type of ruler uh let's just use an example and then we'll um we'll, we'll, we'll move on to another part of uh, book one but uh go to the example of the parents and the children which is a type of relationship that's analogous to a uh, ruler and subjects right um where you have the parent which seems to be the ruler uh, over the children and the question is is how do parents and this is the question that all parents ask I ask this question almost every day with my wife figuring out how do we how do we raise our children uh, it's a very difficult um, important question that parents ask uh, and it's a very puzzling question it's un unclear what what parents should do because all parents who you know give a little thought to this realize that uh, what's at stake is they don't want to rule their parent or they don't want to rule their children uh, you know like like tyrants they don't want they don't want to see their children like slaves uh, uh, the slave you know children aren't servants uh, you don't come up with chores for the sake that now you have free labor uh, you don't think of your children or you shouldn't think of your children as at the service of you Rather, the way that a parent should think of how to raise their children is how do I serve my children so that they can live their own life, so that they can develop and mature, so that they can be their own rulers. They can rule their own lives, be in control of their own lives. Um, one of the things that often um, happens is you know, when, when children aren't raised uh, uh, well, uh, they they grow up with bad habits. They grow up not knowing how to control their emotions, not knowing how to control their their passions, their 
their their desires, and so they lose control of their lives. They're not able to be um, self rulers or self. Um, they don't have self mastery, right? Meaning that they they lose control of themselves. And so when they're you know grow up and they're put in situations, whether it's you know in context of of rage. They might do acts of violence, or if it's in the context of lusts, they, they might, you know, um, ruin ruin their lives because they are unable to control these um, these emotions. And it's not always the case that it's the, the parents' um, fault that their children are like that, their grown children are like that. But in many situations, that is a contributing cause that the parent didn't help the child uh develop in the right way so that they were would be able to rule themselves and so returning to the um to the example it's it's once again fairly paradoxical that the parent should give rules uh you know curfews and you know you can't you can't go here uh, at this time or you can't do these things uh things that all children hate but the reason that parents come up with these rules is not to limit the freedom of their children, but ultimately in the long run, it's to make or to help their children become free, meaning that they can help their children you know, be in control of themselves, which is a type of freedom, uh, something that uh, those that don't have you know, self-control they lack that and they become a slave to their passions. They become a slave to their emotions and they're not free um, to act in certain ways because they are, they become compelled. And so the rules that parents lay down uh, for their children are ultimately at the service of freedom, not at the service of a loss of freedom. And that's something that's, that's, you know, a fine line to, to, to walk, but it's it's something that I think Plato's trying to draw out throughout this uh, first book, um, especially with with the idea of the the, the sheep and the shepherd. Uh, it's it's almost, I mean, it's it's a it's a really puzzling thing that the sheep the sheep don't know what's good for them. Children don't know what's good for them, right? Uh, if you ever know anything about six-year-old boys they're going to eat as many airheads uh, and tootsie rolls as they can until they throw up uh, it's not good for them uh, to have free range of their diet <laughs> and so the parent lays down certain rules because the the, the child just can't uh, understand why this would not be good for them or or uh, even if they can't understand it they don't have the, the constraint they don't have the um, the control of these emotions and these passions yet uh, to be able to to control it. So even if they know, yeah, I'll probably throw up if I eat these many uh, airheads and I drink all this uh, orange soda, uh, the child's still going to do it because they just don't have that type of constraint. And so the parent is here to almost be the, the willpower for their child um, when their child's willpower is uh, too weak, or it's not it's not engaged, um, and I think this this is also in the background. This is sort of a tangent, but this is also I think in the background of um, what what justifies um, in a type of epistemic way the um, 
the permission of um, infant baptism. It's almost like the parent and godparent make make the decision on behalf of the child because the child just isn't mature enough to make that decision for themselves. Um, so if it's permitted to you know make your child's decisions about what to eat because you know that they are not capable of making those decisions for themselves, if that's permitted, then it should be permitted to allow for um, infant baptism for the, the exact same um, type of justification. The child doesn't know what's good for themselves, so you make the decision for them. Now, the goal of that, ultimately, for both those, the sacramental case and just the natural case of the diet of a child, ultimately, is that the child comes to see and comes to desire um, what's actually good for them, and so that the child sees, oh, yeah, no, I'm glad my parents made that rule. Uh, I'm glad they didn't let me do X, Y, and Z. Um, I would have been on, on a completely different path. I would be living a completely different life if they let me experiment with drugs, if they let me, you know, just have complete free range, um, I would not be the type of person I am today. Uh, at the goal uh, is that at a certain point, um, the, ch- the child will come to that realization and maybe even return to the, the parent and say, thank you for, for what you did for me at the time. I, I didn't seem appreciative, but now I understand. Now I have wisdom and knowledge and I see the good behind the rule that you that you laid out and it was at ultimately the service of my well-being not against it because most high schoolers think that everything parents do uh, is against their well-being but that's just because high schoolers aren't wise uh, it's just you know part of what it means to be 16 17 years old uh, is that you are sort of self-centered and you're not thinking uh, uh, correctly or well um, we've all been there. I know I have. Um, okay, so that is uh, uh, one, I think, real significant part of this book, as, as I mentioned. The way it, um, uh, the way it, it, it proceeds then is that there's, there's therefore a great value, an intrinsic value to justice, which is hard to comprehend if you're only looking for a, a specific type of value that is um, self-serving, right? So um, if, if the only value you could g- give to something is a type of self-serving value, uh, how does this make me better? Uh, then you're going to have a very difficult time understanding the value of being just or the value of being moral. Uh, because it's going to seem, what do I get out of this? Um, just as it would be really hard for the tyrant to see the value of um, helping um, the citizens live better lives, uh, it might be hard for the person completely um, enamored with the thought of a successful business to see the real value, the intrinsic value of you know, making um, a good product, you know, returning to the the gardening example, someone might think the only value of raising uh, good tomato plants is because of the money you can get out of it. Um, But if you can't get any money out of it, then where's the real value in it? What's the real point of it? And uh, any, any hope of finding some intrinsic value 
for the gardener in raising tomato plants is going to be very um, very difficult to, to, to find or to arrive at. And this is what we're going to get to in the next book is if there is value to justice, it has to be an intrinsic value because it looks like all the value um, that that uh, uh, you you can get out of all the extrinsic value you can get out of justice, you could also get by lying and cheating, right? So honor and money and all this stuff that justice might get you. Um, you could get by injustice. You can get by cheating and stealing and lying, and that seems to even be a uh, in many cases a better way uh, of getting money, a better way of getting um, honor is by deception by by lying and cheating um right if you if you if you're if you're good at that that's you know corners you can cut and ways of 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 excelling in those way in those ways and so if there's any real value that justice and justice alone can have it would have to be intrinsic um and so the question of what's the real intrinsic value of morality or the real intrinsic value of justice um is going to be uh, on the table um, here, right? So what Socrates is saying is all these other types of, of rule lead you to this um, this view, uh, uh, all the, meaning all these other types of rule, like you would rule because you, you, um, you can get something out of it, right? You can get money or you can get honor or you can get power, some type of self-gain out of this. Um, why would you rule if you don't have any self-gain out of this? Why in the world would you do that? Why would you want to be a ruler if you can't get self-gain? Um, one of the things that we're going to see is uh, for many people, there would be no reason. You, it, it would be completely pointless. The only point of ruling is that if you can get something, um, if you can get something out of it, right? And so um, we're, we're going to... Uh, uh, um, I don't know. Have uh, have have great opportunity to reflect on that, um, but I want to I want to stop for a second and, and make a make a point that I sort of made, but I want to I want to draw it out in a very explicit manner. Um, so the Republic is a is a book about many things. Uh, one thing it's about is about politics. It's about political philosophy. The the relation between you know the 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 ruler. And, and the citizens, what makes for a good a good ruler, um, what makes for a good a good government. Um, but it's also about ethics or or I guess you could call it morality, um, which is not so much about right ethics is not so much about what actions should I do or shouldn't I do, but rather it's about what type of life, should I live? What would be a good way of living? Now, obviously, that question is going to incorporate what actions are good actions or bad actions. But that's always going to be like secondary to this broader question about what type of character um, I should have. Uh, you, you can, I don't know, maybe think of it um, in a, in a, in a broader context of like what um, you want to be a good a good musician uh, 
you don't exactly ask the question, okay, what notes should I play at certain times? The, that's not like the primary question. If, if, you were, if you were simply focused on, okay, what notes should I play? Uh, just tell me the notes to play and I'll play them. Uh, that doesn't necessarily make you a good musician. A good musician is someone who knows why you play certain notes at certain times. Um, when the context changes, right, different music genres, there's like a different feel of the music. And so you play different notes. So to have an understanding, not just of what notes to play, but why you play different notes, and that's going to obviously incorporate, you know, having an understanding of like the um, uh, different scales and, and different scales elicit different moods, right? Minor scales, sort of more melancholic and sad, right? There's a lot, you know, maybe tension. Uh, major scales, there's more sort of calm, more resolution type thing. So to, to kind of know that and to, to be able to um, have that knowledge in the background, which then is what you use to make your decisions about what notes to play, um, that's more akin to what ethics is ultimately trying to do. Um, it's not healthy, I think. It's not good to focus on the mere like the do's and the don'ts even though that's important but the do's and the don'ts like you know it's it's wrong to do x y and z uh you 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 can't do this or you have to do this um, those questions i think are, are secondary ethical questions the primary ethical question is what type of life is a good life to live and what type of habits or traits or what type of understanding do you need in order to make those later decisions about what to do um, okay and so that's why in this class we're not actually going to be or in the series uh, we're not actually going to be um, focusing on um, like particular actions like I, I'll, I'll use examples but the, the the focus of the republic uh which i think is the focus of ethics isn't you know a list of do's and don'ts it's it's rather a reflection on the the type of life which is good to live and the types of lives that are not good to live and then looking at why that's the case and once you have that in play, the question of what should I do or what shouldn't I do, uh, it just kind of falls out. It's like a fruit of those those f f um, first former questions. Um, to use an example, it would be like, you know, if you think Christianity was simply about, okay, what should I do and what shouldn't I do, it would be a very legalistic um, form of Christianity that would almost like entirely miss the reason for being a Christian in the first place, right? No one's a Christian in the first place because they want to follow a set of rules. Um, no one's moral in the first place because they think it's good to follow a set of rules. Following a set of rules doesn't make anyone happy if that's all you're doing. The reason you follow the rules or the reason you you do certain things and you don't do certain things is what is what matters, right? It's 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 the source of why you think these rules or these laws are in place 
and and usually as as uh, I think it's the case with Plato, it's definitely the case in Christianity. It's because of a certain love that you have for something, which is what elicits these these rules. Because you want to to control yourself, you want to kind of bind yourself to what you love, and and so you set these rules up in order to bind yourself to what you love with a great with great passion. So if you don't have this love, uh, this great passion for what you love, um, then the rules are just going to be like dead rules, and it's not going to like mean anything to you. Um, and so it's it's um, you know uh, uh, a, a sad thing when you find people super concerned about morality, but they're they're completely at a loss of of the love of what lies before morality, um, which is ultimately the love of of something, the love of 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 Christ or the love of the form of the good for for Plato, right? Um, it's it's that which is what elicits all of these these laws, these particular laws. Okay, so that's important to keep in mind. So don't don't think that what's going to be um, happening is we're going to be looking at okay. Now we read Plato's Republic. I'm going to be able to answer all these questions about the do's and the don'ts. You can answer those questions, but we're not going to be focusing on that because I once again don't think that's the the primary heart of what ethics is about. Okay, um, so. The last thing I want to talk about before before we wrap this um, up, finish up book one, is this discussion of injustice and what injustice does for um, for us. Um, injustice has in, internal consequences. Uh, injustice has intrinsic effects, um, so much so that it it like undermines itself. Like injustice, um, even becomes thwarted uh, when um, it's it's like uh, um, it's enacted. And here's what I mean. So this is on page thirty one. Uh, of the Reeves translation, this is around 351D, somewhere around there, right before 351D in the margin numbers. Uh, I'll just read some of this again. Okay, so Socrates, Socrates says, um, actually, let me let me set this up. Uh, actually, no, let's just jump in. Okay, so Socrates says, you are doing well at it too. So please me some more by answering this question. So here's a question that Socrates is, is asking Thrasymachus. Do you think that a city, an army, a band of robbers or thieves or any other group with a common unjust purpose? So think of like band of thieves, these people that are, are set out to do unjust things. Their, their goal is to, to lie, to cheat and to steal for their own gain, right? So we're going to gain... We're gonna we're gonna excel by stealing from this person, by killing this person, by by um, you know lying, uh, by deceiving, right? Do you think that group that has this unjust purpose to continue where Socrates is speaking um, with a common unjust purpose would be able to achieve it that purpose if its members were unjust to each other? So, so the question is, do you think that a group of unjust people 
no, put it this way. Do you think that a group of people with an unjust purpose could achieve that purpose if they were unjust to each other? And then Thrasymachus says, of course not. Socrates goes on, what if they were not unjust to one another? Would they achieve more? Thrasymachus says, certainly. So this is really fascinating. It looks like in order to achieve the purposes of injustice, right, in order to execute your your plan to, to rob a bank, in order to execute your plan to commit a murder with a group of people, in order to execute your plan to to lie to, to, to this, this group of people, to deceive them in a certain way, in order for that to, to, to be done and to be done well, the group itself cannot be unjust to each other. Because otherwise, it'll once like the backstabbing happens, that common goal that they have is going to start to fall apart. Right? So it's, it's kind of like the classic, um, you know, movie where you have this group of, of thieves. Usually it's movies about like art thieves or something or bank robbers where, you know, they're robbing banks. But it's, it's the fact that they all kind of get overly greedy that their greed causes the group to fall apart and then it causes them to get caught, right? Once they become enemies to themselves, once the group of friends of bank robbers becomes enemies to each other, the whole thing falls apart and 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 everyone sort of everyone sort of loses, right? And so they can't even execute their unjust plans uh, when they are unjust to each other. So the 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 lesson that Socrates is trying to to to, to draw out of this is it looks like even injustice needs justice in order to be executed, which is paradoxical, but it kind of makes sense, right? You can kind of think uh, about about this that in order to execute an unjust plan with a bunch of people, you have to have some amount of control and restraint among the, the members of that. And so you can think about this even within the context of an individual, right? Rather than a group of people, think about yourself as a group of like emotions and passions, right? You got all these competing, all these, you know, parts of you, uh, your desire to do one thing, the, the the fear that you have of doing this, the 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 emotions that that accompany that, uh, all the memories you might have, and all these things that kind of come together. What you need is you need to have some some amount of control over all of those if you're going to, you know, execute some horrendous action. So if you ever read Crime and Punishment. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful novel about this um, this axe murderer. It's a it's a novel by um, Fyodor Dostoevsky. So I highly recommend you reading Crime and Punishment. I've actually had my ethics classes read this book alongside The Republic. But in this novel, there's this axe murderer. Uh, I'm not giving away anything, so don't don't worry because uh, great books are things that you, you can never spoil. Even if you know what happens, you still don't spoil it. Uh, so the there's this axe murderer who's you know planning on committing this this murder this axe murder uh, to make himself an axe murderer right and so uh, 
but he has to fight against all of these these things that are kind of pulling against him saying no don't do that today we call this conscience right your conscience is saying don't do it some other things inside you are saying do it it's kind of the classic the two angels on your shoulder you're feeling split um what in order to do this action what he has to do is he has to kill one of these sides right he's got to he's got to have complete you know uh um unity oneness of mind his his whole his whole self has to be directed towards this action if he's going to execute it um and so you could think of in order to do something whether it's a good thing or a bad thing you have to be of one mind um if you're of kind of a split mind it's going to get in the way right you're going to you're going to have a difficult time doing that action um and so this is why right after this um socrates goes on to, to, to talk about the the effects of injustice what what that does is it is it is it does this uh, Socrates says uh, because Thrasymachus injustice causes factions divisions like splits it causes hatreds and quarrels among them while justice brings about friendship and a sense of common purpose isn't that so Thrasymachus says yes it, it does right? Socrates goes on you are still doing well on that front, which is very good of you. So tell me this, if the function of injustice is to produce hatred wherever it occurs, so what injustice does is it, is it like by definition, makes, makes for like division, right? Injustice automatically causes factions or divisions, which is the type of like um, hatred, right? If so, if injustice produces hatred, whether it's of, of 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 another or even of yourself, right? If the if the injustice is is internal to you, um, you feel this almost this like self hatred. Um, okay, Socrates goes on. Then whenever it arises, whether among freemen or slaves, won't it make them hate one another, form factions, and be unable to achieve any common purpose? Uh, Thrasymachus says, of course. Um, and so what happens is when you have two people that are at odds with each other. Uh, that are unjust. They hate each other. They 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 find themselves apart from each other. They have different goals. They have different purposes. Um, so so the 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 function of injustice or the what injustice does is it splits apart. It splits people apart. Um, and it and if it's if it's you know intrinsic injustice of it's if it's within the context of an individual what injustice does is it splits you apart you 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 become sort of this like split personality this you live this double life one part of you says don't do this the other part of you says do do this and you feel torn right and so um the notion of feeling like you're living a double life or the notion of feeling like you're you're split uh that's the result of um injustice and so what it does, he goes on, is it makes you um, unable to, to really do, do an action because you're always going to be feeling that every action you make is the wrong action because part of you says do it, the other part of you says don't do it. So anything you come to, 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 to decide on is always going to feel like it's the wrong thing. Um, so the, the, the thing about injustice which you could think of as immorality, is it makes you uneasy with yourself so that everything you do seems like it's the wrong thing, um, right? Whether it's literally doing the right action, 
if you're unjust, you're gonna you're gonna find it boring. You're gonna find it unfulfilling. Uh, you're gonna it's gonna seem like it's the wrong action. Or if you do, you know, the unjust thing. On the other hand, um, you're gonna you're gonna feel like it's the wrong thing to do. You shouldn't have done that. There's gonna be some sort of like self-loathing. And so the idea, I think, what Socrates is proposing is what injustice is is it's this thing where you um, it's this state um, of always feeling like you've done the wrong thing because you're at war with yourself. You're an enemy to yourself, as he goes on to say at the bottom of page 31, 352a. He says, second of all, um, what, what, this is, what this does, what injustice does, is it makes an enemy to itself and that what is in every way its opposite, namely justice. So when you live uh, or do, when you live, in an unjust way or when you do acts of, of injustice you become an enemy to to yourself um and and that is uh i think something that we've all experienced um no one likes that no one wants to feel like they're always doing the wrong thing um right so maybe you've cheated on a test uh in college uh Maybe you 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 got away with it, but you kind of maybe felt guilty about that, or you felt wrong, or you felt like I don't know. Deep down, you felt stupid because you knew you didn't know the answers to these questions. You knew you didn't work hard uh, hard enough to, to to actually do it on your own. Um, deep down, you kind of wish that you could have known these answers. You wish you were the type of person that could study harder. You wish you were the type of person that didn't have to cheat. Um, so, so even when you get away with things, you still feel like you didn't get away with it because you yourself um, have caught yourself, right? I mean, that's it's like, yeah, you know, the teacher didn't catch you, the police didn't catch you, but there was a part of your very your very soul, the part this part of your very self, which you might think of as like your conscience. Um, that is not something that you've you know, run away from, or you haven't, at least at that point, because you still feel like, you know, someone caught you, something caught you. Um, what was it? It was your own conscience. And so in that situation, you can do one of two two things. You can, or actually three things. One, you can just continue to live this tension between, I want to do this, but, but, I, but I can't, and you always feel like you're stuck between doing the right thing and the wrong thing. Um, the other option is just to try to Try to um, be of one mind. Try to be um, of of like one single purpose, right? And so, so that you might think, okay, should I should I be the type of person that cheats, or should I be the type of person that doesn't cheat? Um, one of you, you, if you're going to feel at ease with your life, if you're going to feel sort of content, like I've made the right decision. You're gonna to have to choose one or the other. You can't you can't live both lives, right? You can't live the life of an honest person and a dishonest person. You can't live the life of a just person and an unjust person. You know you can't be uh, you can't serve two masters. And so, what you can do is you can either kill the part of you that is unjust, or you can kill the part of you that is just. You can you can kill your um, your passions, or you can kill your 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 reason, which is ultimately, according to Socrates, the part that that's kind of like your conscience. It's the part that knows better. The the passions. It's the part that just says no. It doesn't feel better to to do it. So, 
right? So you have these two kind of opposing parts. Anytime your alarm goes off at five in the morning, you've 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 had this war between reason and and passion. Passion says you're really tired, sleep in. Reason says no, you got to get up because you got to catch the the airplane flight, uh, right? You you have you have these competitions inside of you between what you know is good, but what doesn't feel good. And so um, what you can do if you don't want to live a torn, split life is you could put one of those parts in conformity with the other. So either make reason try to conform to your passions so that reason becomes a, a, a slave to the passions, or you could make it um, the other way. You could make the passions a servant of, uh, a subject of reason. And so what justice ultimately is, it's the virtue of ruling. So it's about taking subjects and making them uh, at the service of um, the ruling part. But once again, paradoxically, how that happens is when reason um, spends its time focusing on, uh, um, you know, helping the, 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 the subjects ex- excel. And so the, the, the way that this is going to happen in, in individuals is um, you have to train uh, you have to train your emotions, you have to train your passions if you're going to be of one mind. It doesn't just happen overnight with like you know a, a snap of your fingers and signing a piece of paper. You don't then automatically become a good person, right? A good person isn't something that you just say you want to be. A good person is someone who's taken their um, their passions, taken their whole their whole self, and ordered it um, at the service of something, so that there's only one ruler of their of their life, uh, and not um, this faction or this split, which is what injustice brings about, and therefore you're you're kind of torn. Um, and so, one way to to kind of wrap all this up, one way to think of what book one is doing is it's trying to say um, justice is a virtue that brings about unity. Justice brings about a type of unity. It makes you of one mind, one mind towards what you ought to be one mind about. And what injustice uh, does is it splits you and it makes you, um, it makes you ruled by many different things. And once you're ruled by many different things, there's nothing that kind of, you know, orders it all. And so there's going to be a type of um, fight. There's going to be a type of uh, um, war going on, whether the war is going on in the, in the in society, in the state, if it's you're speaking about this communally or politically, or the war is going to be going on in your soul, uh, if you're speaking about this individually um, or ethically, right? The, 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 everyone knows that, you know, they've, they've felt this inner turmoil, this inner um, friction, uh, this, 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 um, this war that, that they're having with themselves, um, is sometimes how we describe it. And so what justice is, is it's the virtue uh, that you would get that would do away with that so that you don't feel that inner turmoil, you don't feel that inner self-hatred, um, but rather you feel like everything about you from 
your 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 decisions to eat, your decisions to drink, your decisions to make jokes, your decisions uh, uh, to have sex, your decisions to read books, your decisions to play instruments, your decisions um, to uh, listen to podcasts. Uh, all of those decisions are going to be ordered towards the exact same thing. So it's not like, oh, on on these issues, this is what rules me. And on these other issues, this other thing is what rules me. No, the just person is the person that has one master, the person that has one ruler. Um, and therefore, you feel like you belong. You feel like you have a single purpose. Um, and that's what uh, Plato, at the very end of book one, describes as, therefore, the just person is a happy person, the person that feels... Um, like there's a single purpose. They, they feel like they belong. They feel like they're at home with themselves, whereas the unjust person always feels like they're not at home with themselves. Okay, and so what you get is justice is always more profitable than injustice, Socrates seems to say, because we've all been in, we've all know what this, what this means. What it means to be unjust is basically to be unhappy. It's to be at war with yourself. It's to hate yourself. To be just is to feel at home. It's to it's to be um, of one mind. It's to 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 feel like you don't have anything to hide. It's to feel like you're not, um, you know, on 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 you know these hours of the day I live this type of life, and then in public I live this other type of life. But rather, the just person is the person who says, no, I only live one life, regardless of the time, regardless of who I'm around, regardless of what I'm doing. I have one single purpose. Um, and everyone knows that, that there's something more fulfilling about that because it's, it's more peaceful. It's more, um, uh, uh, um, you know, it's just, it seems to be more desirable, um, than to, to, to be at war with oneself. And so that's where the book one, book one ends. Uh, uh, it's this, th this realization that justice brings that about. That's what the value of justice is. It's to bring about that state of inner harmony, inner peace. And now here's the great problem. Socrates, nowhere in book one, ever really, really said what justice was. He just said what it does, right? He just said, here's what justice does for you. Here's what injustice would do for you. He's never really come to this, okay, so what is it? Um, and how do you get it? How do you become just? Um, and what is justice? And so this is why at the very end, you get this, this beautiful description. And this, we'll, we'll end with this. I'll just, I'll just quote this at the very end. The last thing Socrates says, um, well, Thersimachus says, let that be your banquet, Socrates, at the Feast of Bendis. Remember this whole discussion, the whole Republic was Socrates' attempt to come down from Athens to the Piraeus to, to attend this feast of the goddess of Bendis. And, and so Thrasymachus is making this play like, okay, look, you've had your feast now. And what Socrates responds is this. Um, Given by you, Thrasymachus, after you became gentle with me and ceased to be difficult, yet I have not had a good banquet. So, so there's something about what just happened that Socrates is very unsatisfied with. He doesn't like where he ended up here. Even though a lot of wonderful things were said, a lot of things he said are very important, but he's nevertheless unhappy. He doesn't feel 
fully satisfied. And here's why. But that is my fault, not yours. I seem to have behaved like those gluttons who snatch at every dish that passes and tastes and taste it before having properly savored the preceding one, before finding the first thing we inquired about, namely what justice is. I let that go and turned to investigate whether it is a kind of vice and ignorance or a kind of wisdom and virtue. Right, so he never really focused on the question what justice is, merely whether it justice is wisdom, does justice require wisdom? Does justice require virtue? Or is it a type of virtue? He focuses on that, never this like, so tell me really what it, what it is, right? Uh, he goes on, Then an argument came up about injustice being more profitable than justice, and I could not refrain from abandoning the previous one and following up on that. Hence, the result of the discussion so far, as I am concerned, is that I know nothing. Right? So Socrates comes to this great, this great realization that in regards to um, ethics, in regards to you know what would make for a good ruler, what would make for a, a, a happy happy society, a happy individual life, regardless of whether you're talking about social, political justice, or individual, like ethical justice, um, he says, "Look, I know nothing. I know I know nothing about this, about what would make for for a happy life, whether political or ethical." And that's because he doesn't know what justice is, right? And if you don't know what it is, then you you can't manifest it. You can't realize it. Um, he goes he goes on. This is how book one finishes up. For when I do not know what justice is, I will hardly know whether it is a kind of virtue or not, or whether a person who has it is happy or unhappy, right? And then it ends it ends that way. And so the idea is, look, in the broad the broad scheme. We can know that justice makes you happy, but if you don't know what it really is, then you don't know which particular things you need to have or which particular ways of living you need to be in order to be happy, right? So it's kind of like, um, oh, you can know that you have to study uh, calculus in order to, to, to be smart in calculus. You can know that's the case, but that doesn't make you actually smart in calculus. You need to actually study the details of what that is uh, that needs to be studied, right? So you can know that you need to be just in order to be happy. But if you don't know what justice is, that then you're not happy, right? Um, same thing about the, 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 the gardening case. You know that you need to take care of your plants if you're going to be a good gardener. But if you don't know what in particular you need to do, then you're not going to be a good gardener. Okay, and so, so book one doesn't exactly answer the question uh, that, we're, that we raised, namely, what's, what's, um, what is justice? How does it make you happy? Do you really need it to make you happy? We didn't answer that question in, in the way that like, would satisfy us because we only answered it in this broad picture, this broad spectrum way, not in the precise detailed way. Okay, and so it's to that question that the rest of the Republic is going to turn. It's going to kind of hone in on more of the details of what are we looking for when we're looking for justice? What are we looking for when we're looking for the virtues that would make someone a good ruler, either over other people or over themselves? Uh, and so that's what we're going to look at next time in book two.